Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Hey everybody, good morning, good afternoon, good evening, welcome to Beekeeping for Newbies. As always, I do appreciate you taking the time to listen. Please feel free to reach out. It's Jeff at beekeepingfornewbies.com or for those more security-minded people, more on the bees at protonmail.com. Well, welcome back. We have another exciting episode going on today. This is episode 35, No Bull Splits, Just the Facts. We've had a lot of people asking uh, by email and in the Discord some things about splits. We know we're coming up on you know swarm and split season here. So on this episode, we're going to talk about splits specifically. And then on the next episode, we are going to... I'm actually pulling up my notes right now. Episode 36, Don't Fear the Swarmer. Yes, for those of you uh, out there who are Blue Oyster Cult fans. And then episode 37 is in another place. And episode 37 is all about swarm traps. So we're going to go in, and I haven't named the episode officially yet, but it's going to be episode 37. So we got a couple things teed up. I got a lot of notes put together on all of those. Uh, this is a pretty hectic week, so I know that this is the only recording I think I'll get done this week, but we will definitely try to stay on schedule, get another one out next weekend. So the first thing I wanted to say here is I want to sincerely thank Everyone, very, very much for listening. And I know I say it as part of my standard opening, but I, I truly do mean it. I, I have had the opportunity to speak with and meet so many cool and amazing people. And I, I really enjoy you know, hearing the stories and just being a part of the, the bee journey for everyone. It really means a lot to me. And, um, and thank you. I certainly expected to actually have a lot more people telling me all the things I was doing wrong. But quite honestly, there's only, <laughs> there's only been a few people who've hit me up and said, hey, man, that's not right. But, uh, you know, I take the feedback wherever it comes, whether it's, you know, someone who read something and, you know, you've only been keeping bees for a few months or a few years, 
You know, I'm always open to learn from anybody. So if you hear me say something that's wrong, by all means, feel free to call me out. But uh, no, but the support from everyone, it, it means a lot. And um, I appreciate being your commuting buddy, your workout pal, or whatever else you're doing while you're listening. Thank you for bringing me along. And uh, I guess that's about it for now. Um, you know, one thing was kind of a specific story, just real quick, is I've I've had a couple of emails over the years that I, that were particularly fascinating to me with with folks like in their seventies and eighties who are who are saying, hey, you know, I I did some beekeeping with my granddad as a kid, or hey, it's something that I've always wanted to do my whole life, and I'm I'm just going to do it. And I thought that was really exciting and cool. So thank you all for sharing that. Okay, so let's jump in here and get to work. And uh, I do want to cover a couple of quick notes before we before we really dive in. Uh, in the bee buzz, I mentioned the instant vap um, oxalic acid vaporizer. Uh, it, I didn't tell you the price. I think it was right around five hundred dollars. It, it is pretty expensive, but I actually used it the other day. It worked exceptionally well. The one tip that I would give to anybody who buys one or even buys one similar to that, protective gear is not a bad idea. I tend to wear at least something on my face when my face is down near the hive entrance. I didn't have anything with me, so I, I had it, treatment had to get done, so I did it. I didn't have any protective gear at all, but fortunately my bees are gentle and kind. But yours may not be as lucky, so please wear protective gear, at least around your face. Have a veil or something to protect your face. Uh, another comment or an area of discussion was something around, in my notes I haven't listed as a deflector board, but what I'm thinking of is one of two things. Something that would be used to direct air away from the entrance of the hive. So let's say you have a hive that's facing, maybe it's west or northwest, and for whatever reason, that's just the orientation that works for your yard, your apiary, you know, wherever you have things set up. There's nothing wrong with that. But you will have, you know, rain from a storm is probably going to blow that direction if you're in the prevailing westerlies. And, uh, you know, you will have that winter air that's going to blow through, you know, directly into the hive. I've seen people put basically like a small wall outside in front of all of their hives as sort of a windbreak. I've also seen some things, and I'm, I'm going to try and make one because I haven't seen it in a long time, so I'm just going to try and make it so I can show you what I'm talking about. But it's like a small little, think of like a maze almost, right in front of the entrance where it blocks the air from blowing in, and the bees that might come in or out would kind of have to go around a little bit of a corner before they could go in. I saw one a long time ago. I'll try, Like I said, I'll try and make one and see if, uh, see if a, a picture will, will make more sense. I also wanted to add, you know, I've been kind of trying to pay a little more attention to some of the stats globally. Now, these stats are, are a couple of days old because I haven't, I haven't brought in the new data here. But I wanted to let you know that France is really stepping up lately. So merci beaucoup to the people of France. They are, uh, we're now number 11 in France. I am sad to report that Norway has slipped down to 27. So I'm counting on my Norwegian brothers and sisters to really kind of elevate their game again. Uh, I still believe in you. I'm not giving up on you. But um, a new one to the leaderboard here, special thanks to Ireland, where we are coming in at number 18. So thank you, people all over the world, for, for listening. Uh, really excited about that. Cool stuff. And uh, the last thing before I kind of dive in to the material here, 
there was a discussion, I think, in the Discord, which I've got some questions in there i got to get to today as well. But there was a question in there about, hey, why don't you do like a video podcast? This is something that I thought about a long time ago. And I thought, as cool as it sounds, I don't think everybody exactly realizes how, like, I'm not as cool as Joe Rogan. I can't just sit there and talk for three hours. Uh, I think that I make goofy faces and I say weird things and... Um, you know, I, I, I don't shave. I look like a homeless guy and I don't know if you want to see all this plus all the editing that I do, you know, it's not just this one free flowing thought that goes on for a couple of hours. It, it, there's a lot of editing involved. So I am still interested in this. It was something I was, I was thinking about a little bit today and I think I'm going to try and, and pursue this. I do not have anything other than a phone right now, as far as video goes, So we'll see if I can make an investment in something better than that. The lighting in the space that I have is not great. So I'm going to get to work on that and see if I can set up a small little studio. So I think this is something that that I could probably have locked down in the next month or so. Um, We're getting into that busy time of year. So it's going to be tough beyond that. So if it doesn't get done by like the 1st of April, it's probably not going to happen anytime soon. But I did take your uh, your thoughts to heart, and I'm definitely going to try and find a way to incorporate some of that. I'm, what I'm thinking in my mind is if I have a 30- or 40-minute episode, I can break that down into like two or three chunks and then just put those chunks on versus having the entire episode online. Um, I'm, you know, I'm just I'm not a social media guy. I'm not going to do all the YouTube shorts and the TikToks and stuff. I just I'm not going to do it. And I know that... If I was trying to get my brand out there and trying to do a bunch of whatever stuff, I don't know. I just I'm not a social guy. I'm not into it. So now we're gonna we're gonna dive into some uh, some real real stuff here. So there's a topic that's come up a lot here lately about winter feeding, <laughs> and I know that everybody who's in the Discord is is tired of me getting bent out of shape on this one. And it's not like an anger bent out of shape. It's just. It absolutely drives me nuts for for a lot of reasons. But there's something that's going on here. It's kind of one of two things. Either there is a new advance in beekeeping that I'm just completely not aware of, which I'm certainly willing to accept, or someone out there is providing information that's not so good. So up until about three months ago, I think I've ever heard anybody say, hey, you know what sounds like a good idea? Let's open the hive in the middle of the winter and feed the bees. Like, I have literally, I've never heard this. But in the past few months, there's been at least 10 people that have either posted in the Discord or have emailed me, and they're like, hey, so when I was feeding the bees this winter and I opened up the hive on a nice day, and I'm like, no, no, whoa, what are you doing? So I'm going to die on this hill. Like, I am not going to let this go. (laughs) I, I appreciate all of you, you know, whoever's telling you guys that you should put granulated sugar in a hive, I'm sure they've got a reason behind it. I'm not going to fight anybody about it. I'm not going to be mean about it, but I'm just telling you, I, I'm going to die on that hill. If these bees did not collect enough honey over the over the time, you know, the spring and the summer, and then whatever fall flow there is, depending on where you live, if they did not do their job and collect enough honey for them to survive through the winter, going back to the very early episodes of the, you know, beekeeping for newbies, the five traits of a queen and a colony that I look for. And one of them is their ability to overwinter. There is no reason why anybody should be opening that hive in the middle of the winter time. It just shouldn't be happening. Now there's a lot of reasons behind it, but one of them I've mentioned before 
several times if you had to for some reason or whatever, you know, to make sure that you reseal up the cracks that you've opened because the propolis in the summertime, it's nice and pliable and it kind of is moldable and will shape as you lift it off and put it back on. It'll kind of, you know, with the heat, it'll melt back into place. In the wintertime, it's really um, brittle. So you break that seal, put the super or the hive body back on, and you're going to have a crack where air is going to get in. But like I said, I'm going to die on that hill. Like you're not going to convince me that this is a good idea. So <laughs> I, I don't get it, right? I read an article. There was a guy who was a um, PhD. I always, I always like, like, it sounds like I'm picking on the PhD folks when I say PhD types. I just mean that somebody who researches honeybees and their activity and entomology and all that for a living, or at least as a graduate student, not picking on them at all. They're like 20 times smarter than me. But it was a PhD type person who said, hey, here's why I don't think this is a good idea. And she went through this detailed explanation and it just makes sense to me. I just, so that's just what's locked into my head. If you want to throw a bunch of granulated sugar in your hive and you think it's going to make a difference, I'm not going to pick a fight with you, but that's the hill I'm dying on. So, um, okay. All right. That's it. That's it. Let's get into, uh, let me see here real quick. Okay. And you know, one other thing I want to mention is, you know, when the podcast first started off, you know, everything was really geared towards your year zero and year one beekeepers, right? People who were getting ready, didn't even have their first colonies yet. And, or, or people who were finishing up their first year and they're thinking like, okay, here's what I did well. Here's what I didn't do well, but a lot of gaps don't have a mentor, don't have a path forward. As we continue on, you know, indefinitely until you guys tell me you've had enough, I'm going to try to elevate things a little bit and to, provide a greater level of detail so that you move kind of beyond the 101 and the 201 level things. But as you progress in your beekeeping journey, you know, you're going to learn more. You're going to have more questions. And I think that instead of being in this mindset of every year you do these things, you know, I want to get you into the mindset of, of focusing not on being reactive to the things you see, but being able to see conditions and see activities and behavior and be able to say, when I see these things, I know that my next response should be along this track or along these lines because I know that this is indicative of a certain behavior or a certain you know, response that the bees are having to stimuli in the environment or whatever it might be. And I want to get you beyond. So when we talk about what we're going to talk about here today, where we're going to really kind of you know, dive into some things on splits, you know, this is there. There's already been a splits episode, right? It was probably I don't know episode five or six where we talked about splits, but we're going to keep going deeper. So I'm hoping that by the time we're having you know this splits discussion, maybe a couple months from now or maybe next year, we're going even further, right? We're going into topics and a level of depth, and maybe even we're bringing in some experts to talk about it at that level because you know you guys are continuing to elevate yourselves and and push things further, and you know. We want, to keep, you know, we want to keep you engaged and keep you learning more things at a higher level. So that wraps up all of the stuff that is not about bee splitting today. So with that, hey, everyone, thank you for listening. I hope that you're enjoying the show and are finding the information to be useful and valuable. In order to help keep the lights on, we do need to take a quick commercial break. Thank you so very much for hanging in there, and I appreciate you. We will be right back.
Saving money on your outdoor project? Now at Menards. We have everything you need to keep your outdoor power equipment running smooth so you can keep that lawn in tip-top shape or enjoy some time on your boat. Right now, all FVP, lawn and garden, and marine batteries are on sale through May 5th. Check out our entire selection of FVP batteries today and view our weekly flyer on Menards.com for more great deals. Save big money at Menards. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, everyone, welcome back, and thank you for staying with us today. As always, feel free to reach out if you have any questions or comments. I always enjoy hearing about your experiences, answering questions, and learning more about the challenges you're facing in different parts of the world. So please keep them coming. It's Jeff at beekeepingfornewbies.com. Now let's get back to the show on the Beekeeping for Newbies radio network. Okay, that's not a real thing, but I'm trying to make it sound more official, so just play along, all right? Thanks a lot. All right, so we're jumping into the topic. Finally, we're already at the first break, and we haven't even gotten to the uh, – Gotten to the meat and potatoes here, but we're going to dive in. So I've mentioned this in the Discord room before, and for those of you who have not yet joined the Discord, I mean, we've got 20-plus people in there now. There's a lot of communication, a lot of activity, and it's really, really cool. Just go to beekeepingfornewbies.com on the homepage, and on the left-hand side about halfway down, I think there is a link to Discord. Just come on in, join the team, and uh, you get a chance. Your, your subjects and thoughts and ideas can be suggested in the podcast ideas section, and you may hear your topic live on the air. Anyway, like I mentioned, though, in the Discord, we have a note specifically from a listener here, so we're going to jump right into that, and that's going to be kind of the driver to open up the topic for today. So it says, I'm sure you've discussed, but maybe a little detail on splits as that season is fast approaching, like how many frames of resources brood, capped, open frames, how many bees from other frames should you shake into your split? Do you get the queen from a breeder or let them do it themselves? How does that affect your honey crop if you were to do a split, like, you know, from the colony that you split from? Do you wait until after the spring flow or it says here, or maybe tonight or wait until, I think they just mean after the spring flow. Okay. So the first thing I would say is let's, so there's a lot of things here. What I'm going to do is, is I've, I've read that as kind of an intro because there's a lot of good questions in there. There are some similar questions in the Discord right now. So I'm going to go through my whole discussion today, and then I'm going to go to the back or the very end, answer the questions out of the Discord. And between all of the discussion together, I should have it all covered. I'm hoping, because there's a lot. There's a whole lot going on here today. Okay, the first thing I want to talk about, I think this is like the 10th time I've said the first thing I want to talk about today. But a couple of reasons for splitting. So let's run through these, and then we'll kind of dive in a little bit deeper. So I guess I would start with the question, um, you know, do you have to split in the spring? This is a common question I hear. The answer to that is absolutely not. I mean, you can add more supers. You can give them more space. And this is actually a question that came up later on somewhere else where it was uh, basically like, hey, you know, if I want to maximize my honey production, you know, should I split or, or is it still, you know, is it okay just to, to not split? 
So answering that question, just you add more honey supers. You just give them more space and allow them to continue to grow. Now, I've mentioned this before. What you can run into is if the hive gets absolutely massive and huge, you will eventually hit a point where the ability of the queen pheromone to propagate could be diminished, particularly if you have an aging queen. But if you've got a young queen, you know, a couple of, you know, anything from a first year to a two year old queen, so, you know, newborn, one year, two year, there should be enough queen pheromone that she's putting out as a laying queen that it shouldn't be an issue. But you do want to keep an eye as you start stacking four, five, six supers on there. You just want to pay attention because you may very well see some queen cells and, you know, you just have to take appropriate measures. Now, at that point in time, if you had five or six supers on there, what do you care if you want to make a split, right? Why not? But you just need to keep an eye on them during your inspections and your treatment. As long as they have enough room, you know, have at it. Just give them space and let them keep storing, uh, storing honey. But an important concept to keep in mind is that not everything in beekeeping is black and white. You know, I prefer to make suggestions based on things I've done and had success with and, and people who I've followed and, and whose practices that I've implemented you know, to say, for example, you know, here's what I like or here's what someone else showed me or this is what I think might be a good approach. However, if I say, as an example, you should use three frames, but you only used two, you know, for whatever it might be that we're talking about, would that still work? Or if I said, do this by mid-April in my area and you wait till one May, is that too late? You know, maybe not, you know, I mean, being more specific with that, like I had regularly seen swarms starting to happen in late April and early May where I am. Then one year we had a mild winter and I was seeing swarms the second week of April, right? So I wasn't really prepared for that. I was fixated on these dates like, well, this is the date, so that's what I'm going to watch out for. And I looked at my notes. My notes aligned to the calendar. So instead of paying attention to what I was seeing in the hive or should have been looking for in the hive, I was completely ignoring the biology of the bees and the current weather conditions. But if I would have given people specific dates and specific information, it would not have aligned, right? So this is where it gets you to the mindset of starting to think, well, I'm not going to do this on this day or this week. Because someone told me to, I'm going to look for these conditions within the hive, and that's going to be my trigger to take action. I hope that makes sense. You know, another example is, you know, if I wanted to keep a couple colonies the same size, but I wanted to reduce the population for swarm, you know, for swarm prevention, I might take two frames from, from uh, 10 different hives and make a cell builder, right? So I've reduced the population from the bees that are on the frames, plus the bees that are about to be born from that brood, I've now dropped them into another box that is now packed with bees, no available queen, and now I can now I can turn around and start generating a bunch of new queens that I can use to establish a whole bunch of new hives, which I'm actually going to do that this year if I can carve away enough time for it. I'm really pumped about that, making a really massive uh, cell builder. Now, typically, I would try to do this, you know, from a nuke if I can, since you know, nukes are really good, you know, brood factories, but you can actually, you can absolutely take them from, you know, what I would consider to be like a production colony or one of your regular colonies. Again, you just need to keep in mind that taking resources from a colony has an effect and you need to understand the implications of that decision. So we're going to, we'll dive into that, the specifics of that a little bit later, but just remember that there are a lot of ways to do things with bees. They're very adaptable. And, you know, particularly, and I say this a lot, you know, during a flow in the spring, you can get away with a lot. 
<laughs> I mean, there's just the conditions are perfect for bees. So you can kind of screw up over and over again. And the bees are the bees are going to find a way to make it right. But, you know, again, a great reason is um, swarm control, right? So, so as far as why you would split is to prevent swarming. Another uh, is because maybe you just want to double your beekeeping pleasure, right? You've got two colonies that you overwintered. You're excited. Everybody's alive and well. You're going to split them, and now you're going to have four, right? I mean, that that was my approach for years. I mean, I, th- I think by the time I figured out how to keep bees alive through the winter, I don't even think I took honey out for like the first four or five years, something like that. I just wanted to keep growing the apiary. And that's cool. That's fun. That's great. But if you want that honey, you know, you're going to have to start stacking. But that's another option too that you could consider is maybe you have a friend that you want to share beekeeping with and you've told him or her, you know, hey, if you buy the hardware, I'll give you a split from my colony, right? So maybe they they go buy, you know, whatever they need to set up a a new colony. You give them a nuke or a few frames and a um, queen cell and then you've reduced that that population in your colony, you give them some space to store some honey and you know, it's a win-win for both of you. Uh, another, another good reason is that, you know, splitting colonies can also give you a chance to bring in other genetics, you know, for more genetic diversity into your apiary because, and we'll talk about this. I think I've got this in my notes as well, but well, you know, I'm gonna go ahead and cover it now. Uh, you know, there's a lot of options that you have when you do a split um, I, you know, and I, I've got like, God, I've got so many notes here, but I, I know I'm going to just completely screw it all up by going off on this tangent, but I don't care. We're just going to do it. There are a few different ways to do a split. There's one common way called the walk away split. And this is literally where you take, you have, let's just say as an example, you have a double brood chamber and you know, they're packing everything out and you're thinking, all right, it's time for me to do a split. They're pretty crowded in there. I'm starting to see some queen cups show up, you can literally take another set of deeps, go ahead and fill them up with, um, you know, drawn comb, wax foundation, whatever you got, and then divide everything in half. So let's just say as an example that you had eight brood frames and let's just for easier discussion, eight brood frames and 12 frames of honey in your primary colony. Take four brood frames, drop it into the new deeps that you set up, and then take six of the honey frames, put those in there, put everything else as wax foundation or draw on comb, and then and then walk away. Now, the trick with the walk away approach is you absolutely positively have to have young larvae, preferably like eggs or you know day old larvae, but the younger the better on the larvae, so that the new split, the new colony, um, and you want to do it for both sides, right? Because that's the part of the beauty of the walkaway split is you don't even have to find the queen. You can just say, we're dividing everything in half and we'll just see what happens. So as long as you have young larvae on both sides, the original colony and the new one, the bees will make an emergency cell. They will make a new queen and you're good to go. Now, all you do is you make that split. You, you literally close everything up and walk away. That's it. You just come back again in about a week or two and look around. If you have one colony that has no new, if you come back a week later and you have a colony that has no eggs laid anywhere and most likely you're going to find a queen cell in there, well, that was the one that didn't have the queen. 
You go to the other colony and it's business as usual. That's an example of a walkaway split. It's great for newbies, right? It, it really is because, yes, there are a lot of reasons why it's a bad idea, but it's easy and it's comfortable. And I don't know. I just I think back to those first couple years and – I don't know. Sometimes I just didn't want to do that inspection. I didn't, you get in there and the bees get a little angry with you. Maybe you didn't smoke them enough and they're just all around your head and they're bouncing off of you. Maybe you've caught a sting or two already and you just, man, let's just get this knocked out and, and hope they'll be okay. Right. I get it. I really do. I know exactly where you're coming from. It's, it's simple and it's easy. There is a little bit of a drawback to it. So one of the big downsides is that, you're now, and again, I know we've talked about this a million times too, but you're in a situation where your productivity, yes, you still have bees that are going to be out foraging and they're bringing back nectar and they're bringing back pollen, but as far as on the the hive production, like the colony itself and the continued growth of the colony, it's at a complete standstill now for a long time. So you've got 16 days. So the split occurs. It takes the bees about a day or so to say, oh, crap, we definitely don't have a queen. Like They're going to know within, a, within the first couple hours, like, oh, crap, the queen pheromone's not here. But it's going to probably take them at least a day before they say, all right, let's go ahead and make an emergency cell. From that point, you have 16 more days before you get your new queen. You have another week for her to go get mated and come back and start laying eggs. You have three more weeks before your new bees are being born. This is the absolute peak of the season. This is, you know, this is the nectar flow, the spring flow. It's swarm season. I mean, the population's at its peak. Like, all of the greatness that can possibly be going on in the colony is happening. The conditions are perfect for the, that colony to thrive. And then you said, oh, by the way, no queen. My recommendation in this situation is if you have the forethought and you have the ability to do it, the best way to do this, and again, this brings in new genetics, you know, new genetic diversity into your apiary, and it's a queen, a queen, a clean and quick way to do this. Bring a mated queen to that new colony. Do your split, put her in a little queen cage, and then let them do their thing. You can even move everything over for a day, and let them settle down and then introduce her the next day if you wanted to. But I wouldn't. I would just go ahead. The day that you do that split, put that queen cage in there with that queen. In a couple of days, she'll be out. And she'll bust loose and start doing her things. And you only have a couple of days of disruption to that colony's activity. I think that's hands down the best way to do it. I would say the next best thing on there, and I do this a lot, is you have your primary colony, the spring flow is kicking in, everything's going great, you see a couple of queen cells pop up. What I tend to do is I just grab the frame. If there's two or three queen cells on it, I grab that frame, I throw it into a two-frame nuke with a piece of found, uh, wax foundation, and I let it go. I put a couple of new pieces of wax foundation or frames of wax foundation back in the old colony, and we're, we're cranking along. They'll draw that comb back up really quick. Queen starts laying up in that area, and you just monitor them. And I've had that happen where queen cells are showing up almost every week, basically, for three or four weeks, and I just keep making little splits. And it's such an easy way to grow your apiary. It is such an easy way to grow your apiary. 
with very little effort on your part. So again, quick recap. You can do the walk-away split. Super easy, very disruptive, wouldn't really recommend it. The second option, using a queen cell or a swarm cell and then taking that from a frame and moving that into, like I, the example I used was a two-frame nuke. You can move it into a four- or five-frame nuke, whatever you want to do. And then lastly, the best option, bringing in a queen from somewhere else. And this is a great opportunity, too, as you become more comfortable with things and you start to build your, your beekeeping network, reach out to a friend or somebody in your network and say, hey, I've got a queen cell. I would like to get a, some new genetics. You want to swap queen cells. See if someone else in your area wants to swap queen cells with you. Just kind of an idea. Okay, so we've talked about some reasons why you might want to split a colony. But, um, but let's kind of talk about a little bit of what's going on in the spring. So in the spring, there's this, this massive and rapid growth in the colony, right? And this is 100% by design. The bees take whatever resources are left over from the winter. They start rearing brood. They combine that with whatever they're finding in the environment, um, you know, whether, you know the, the earlier blooming you know, flowers and trees and things. And with this explosive growth, it's not uncommon for bees to run out of space, and that urge to swarm is triggered. So this is where we have to get those honey supers on early. We have to give them the space. And, and like I said, that's when that instinct to swarm kicks in. That's their natural way of reproducing and keeping honeybees you know, around and, again, you know, bringing that diversity. By them going out and seeking out new space, it allows them to expand, explore more areas, you know, link up with other genetics that are in the area, and hopefully that they are able to survive and, and what do you call it, propagate the newer, stronger genes that are, that are in that area. Uh, one thing I do want to point out, something I was thinking of, is quite often people are going to tell you that if you see swarm cells and you confirm that your queen is there, that you need to get rid of those right away. I mean, that's how I operated for years. Like, oh, queen cell, squish, right? That's, that's what people will tell you all the time. If you see queen cells, you better get rid of them. Uh, but like I've, you know, I mentioned earlier about the way that I kind of manage those you know, during the season. Now, if I'm trying to just maintain a production colony, I don't have the time, the cycles, the energy, the desire to do any splits, yeah, I might go ahead and get rid of them. But if you're seeing them show up, the first thing you, you really do need to check and make sure your queen is there. It is entirely possible that something has happened to your queen or they are going to supersede her. So you do need to check and confirm that everything is okay with her. But if everything is going well in the colony and things are productive and the queen is laying and there's eggs everywhere and everything looks good, there's a really good possibility they're they're just tight on space. But I still, I don't squish those queen cells. That's a free queen cell. It's a free queen. All the heavy lifting has been done you are never going to get as good of a queen as you get during the flow. When you have all these resources just pouring into the colony, and, I mean, they are going to be, they have, the nurse bees are going to have so much royal jelly that they're just going to pump that into those queen cells, and they're going to be the healthiest that they would ever be in the spring. I would say before you just squash the queen cells, Ask somebody, just say, hey, look, I've got a bunch of queen cells that just popped up here. They, they're capped. So, you know, I did an inspection four days ago. They weren't capped. They're capped now. So we have a few days to work with. But if you want one, come and get it, you know, or whatever. Because, you know, I mean, you, like I said, you can cut them out. You can put them in a nuke. You can put them in a mating, um, like a mating nuke or a full-size nuke or whatever you want to do. But don't let a good queen go to waste. Okay. When a colony swarms, 
they have effectively lost half the population. Okay, and this is this is why it's so bad and so disruptive, and you know why we want to stay on top of things. Half of them are going to go with the existing queen; the other half are going to stay behind. So, in, in my mind, why would you not want to capture that great productive queen before she leaves by reducing that urge to swarming and giving yourself another colony? Now, a lot of people will think, well, hey, this is great, right? I'm going to go ahead and split, and now I'm going to get twice as much. You know, I have two colonies, so I'm going to get twice as much honey this year. This is awesome. But you got to remember, you've divided those resources up. I mean, by doing a split, you've, you've literally created a swarm. It's just a more organized and orderly swarm. They're going to need a lot of time to rebuild those resources. I do not pull honey from a colony that I split that season. Can you do it? Sure, right? It depends on where you live and what the conditions are like. Um, can, you, can you do it everywhere, every time? No, but you can absolutely do it in some places. There's a lot of places down south particularly that you know I haven't lived there, but I know what the conditions are like, and I know that some of the flows that come in and out, and they are much more able, and depending on the environments, obviously some places probably are not great, but they have an area that's much more conducive to that because of their light and mild winters. But bees are very good about managing the population in a colony and, and rebounding from adverse situations. Um, you know, I say that, again, in a flow, right? In a flow, a lot of things can be fixed. If there's not a flow going on and you do some massively disruptive things, they're kind of stuck. They're not going to lay more eggs if there's not a nectar flow. You know, if they don't have resources available, they're not going to create more mouths to feed. You know, there's another common problem too you know where where i am we tend to i would say like the peak of that swarm season really is around that first second week of may time frame i mean they're just i've had colonies swarm twice like where i just i was busy wasn't paying attention and i'm like oh crap i missed that swarm and then two weeks later three weeks later they swarm again swarm again uh, i don't know why that just came to mind anyway it's a weird place up here in this head but in, in this area, if you, let's say that they're swarming a lot around the first and second week of May. By the time you hit early to mid-June, the, the dearth is here. There's not, I mean, there's grass pollen. It's about the only pollen that's left. You know, all of the trees and the flowers and everything is pretty much come and gone. See, we, we're going into that, you know, six, eight-week period where there just is not a lot available. And that is really, really tough. I mean, you have this colony that is basically brand new now. They've left with whatever they can carry. They're going into a hole in a tree somewhere, and they have no stored honey or resources there. They've got no brood that's waiting to be reared. They've got nothing. It's almost like a package of bees. Think about a package of bees that came to your house in the spring. That's what's going out into the wild right before the end of this nectar flow. So where I am, it's incredibly difficult, I think, for these colonies to survive and to be successful if they swarm. I think the timing is just terrible and the available nectar flow is significantly diminished. And, you know, the other thing to keep in mind, too, is you had this, you know, hugely productive colony that was doing so great. And they've split. The original queen is gone. And now what happened to them? Well, they've got the virgin queen. Oh, crap. Right? Because she has to now be born. They've got to wait for her to be born, which the swarming tends to take place, like, right around that time. But they've got to wait for her to be born. She's got to go get mated. She's got to make that flight back safely, which, you know, I had some really good luck earlier in my bee career, but the last few years I've lost a lot of queens in that mating flight when they're coming back but between dragonflies and birds and spiders and whatever else is around. 
it has not been the easiest go for some of them. So this queen now has to make it back safely and then start laying, right? So now she starts laying, again, 21 days before any new bees. So you, you've lost, you know, another week or two just waiting for her to be born and to get out there and get mated. So that's another challenge for the hive that is, you know, the source hive, the original hive. Okay, so the next thing I want to talk about here is how do we divide up the resources that are going into the splits? Now, there are a couple of variables here, but let's just talk about the kind of frames that we should expect to see anyway, right? So we're going to have honey frames, brood frames. When I say brood frames, for those of you who haven't seen them yet, a brood frame is not packed from corner to corner with just brood. It's going to be kind of an oval, an oval shape, and everything in the middle is brood. But the upper right, upper left, you know, all around the corners, that's where you tend to see some little bit of nectar, maybe a little bit of honey and some pollen, what they call bee bread, you know, like a mixture of things that they can feed to the bees. So these things are on what would be considered a brood frame. And then you'll have some frames that are just completely loaded down with packed pollen and, and with, like I said, what they call like a bee bread, but it's just a, it's, it's a pollen frame. So you have honey frames, brood frames, pollen, nectar frames, well, I'll just leave it at that. Like a nectar frame really is a honey frame that's just waiting to be capped. It just needs to get the the water concentration evaporated out to a, the level that is appropriate for them to be capped. Then you have drawn comb and wax foundation. So the million-dollar question here is how many of each you know, would go into a split, and is there only one right answer? So just like a lot of things in beekeeping, right, something that is right or correct in one place may not be the right thing to do somewhere else. So just be mindful that, you know, you got to really take your information with a grain of salt because if you have somebody who's down the road from you and they say, well, I recommend doing this, this is what's worked for me, pretty good chance that they're going to have some, some relatively accurate information, assuming that they know what they're talking about. So getting back to the question, though, of how would I divide up the resources that are going into these splits, it really depends on the time of year and what I'm doing. I have had big huge, massive colonies. There's this one that I had. Oh, I don't even know if I have those genetics anymore. I think I still do. I'd have to look at my notes. This colony, I, I kept them all in nukes, in five-frame nukes, and they were stacked like four high, I think it was. And I moved them into deeps because they were just, I would put a, a five-frame nuke on them and come back a week later, and it was completely packed with honey. I'm like, what in the world did you guys do? What's going on? They were the most, they were mean, though. They were, man, on the temperament scale, they were not nice. Like, they were like the one, like, you literally put the skull and crossbones on the side of the hive. Man, they just, they were nasty, but they were so productive, I had to keep them around. That colony, I had kind of gotten a little bit tired of some of their behavior, and I was like, you know, I'm going to break them up. And I broke that colony. I split it five ways. So I took, I don't even, I don't remember. It's been so, I think I was using four frame nukes and I think I broke them up just as, as five ways. And it was a stretch. It was in the spring. It was early and they all took off. They all did well. One of them actually swarmed later that year, if I'm remembering the right one correctly. I mean, they, it was just a crazy genetics. That was why I split them so much because I had so many queen cells. That's right. So every one of them had queen cells in them. And I think of those five, well, there was the original queen and then the four splits. And I think two of the four splits I didn't get queens back on. And I ended up losing them. But anyway, what I would say 
as far as when you're doing your splits, I would say you want to treat it like a nuke. Make sure you give them enough resources so that if you move them into a nuke box or even into a deep, they at least have enough resources to where they can survive for a few days if there's some bad weather or, you know, they at least have a basic foundation to start from. You definitely want to have, you know, a few frames of brood that are about to emerge so you can get that nice explosive growth real quick when all those new nurse bees uh, are born and show up. Now, again, right, if it's the springtime and you're in a, in a flow, I've done these several times with just a single single brood frame and a piece of wax foundation and let them go. And they'll pack everything out. Two weeks later, you got a queen cell. You pull that queen cell out, drop it in another two-frame nuke, throw another wax foundation in both of them, and let them go again. And then if it starts to dry up on the nectar side of things, throw some feeders out. Start feeding them and just keep keep cranking out queens. But to be safe... You know, you want to treat it kind of like a nuke, and you can even make it like a boosted nuke. You know, if you want to, do four brood frames and three frames of uh, of honey. You know, th- th- there's really not a fixed rule to it. You know, if you wanted to make a smaller split and still try to pull honey out of your primary colony, you might be able to do that. You probably can in a lot of areas. So I'm just kind of going through the notes here real quick. I, I've here, as we discussed, during swarm season, resources are plentiful. Many times I've taken a single frame with a queen cell and cat brew. We talked about that. You know, another thing, too, that I've done is I've taken, uh, you know, when I've had like a surplus of queen cells for whatever reason, if there's just, I, I maybe wanted to do a single split, but I've got six queen cells as an example because I've had some colonies that have really made a bunch of, of uh, queen cells. I'll go ahead and take those and I'll use these mini mating nukes, which I think I'm probably going to do a separate a separate episode to talk about those because they're really pretty cool. It would be actually be good to put a video together. Maybe I'll do a video this um, this spring when I have some of those queens available from the mating new. I'm sorry, the um, the queen cell builder. I'll do a video. So I'm going to ask my. Uh, I have a couple of of uh, admins here, the volunteer task admins in the Discord room. So if you guys can hold me accountable and remind me about those uh, mini mating nuke videos, I will do that this spring as well. Those are great. They're a great way to just. Uh, have minimal amount of resources, you know, set aside to do a quick, you know, quick little colony. I mean, these queens will go out, they'll get mated, come back. You know, you'll put about a couple of bees in there with them. They go out, they do their thing, they come back. Queen starts laying and you put her into a full-size colony and she's ready to roll. So it's pretty exciting. Another question we have is, do we shake additional bees into splits? It's not that you can't. You just have to remember, typically, when you grab a frame out, for the most part, the frames that are really packed with bees tend to be your brood frames. You know, because once you have capped honey, the bees don't really... I mean, they're going to patrol it. They're going to walk around it, but there's not a lot of bees on honey. But there tend to be a lot of bees on brood because that's their job, right? Their job is to, you know, to give them the royal jelly and to feed them and to um, care for them and then make sure that they're capped, and then the new bees that are born, and you become nurse bees, and there's a transition of roles and all of that. If you shake off all those nurse bees into a, a split, are they going to find a way to make it work? Yeah, I mean, other bees will step up and, and realign themselves and do what they got to do, but I just don't like, the nurse bees are pretty valuable to me. I like to kind of try to hold on to them. So I, I would kind of say you have to gauge it based on the, population of the source colony if you have a ton of bees in there 
you can, you can absolutely shake or, you know, just take the whole frame, right? Just pull that entire frame with the brood because you're going to give up brood anyway. So just take the whole frame and drop it in there with the bees on it and everything. Just make sure that the queen's not there. Leave the queen back where she came from, you know, in the original, original colony. But I don't, I'm not going to go around and just shake a bunch of bees. Now, the one area where I do is, like I mentioned earlier, on cell builders. If I'm doing a, cell, a queen cell builder, I will then shake ton. I will take about eight, yeah, about eight frames that already have bees and brood all over them. And then I will go and shake about eight or nine frames of bees into a box and then pour. All, you, you want this cell builder just packed with bees where they're just coming out of every corner. They're just so crowded. And all they have is honey and resources and space and no queen. They will make the best queen cells that you've ever seen. But no, I typically don't, don't shake uh, bees into splits. And again, right, if you move a couple frames over and you don't have enough, there's nothing wrong with it if you come if your source colony has enough bees available. But don't reduce everything in your primary colony to support this split, and then the primary colony suffers. Okay, so let's say we have two 10-frame deeps, and I want to do like a 1-2 to two split. I would probably put 11 or 12 of the original frames into the the swarming colony, right? Or like the one that we're using to kind of simulate a swarm or the split colony, the new colony, you know, keeping in mind that, that all of the foragers that are either out and about or the ones that have been given to this new split colony, they're going to return to the original colony. So having some capped brood in the split colony is what will prepare them for that infusion of new young nurse bees. But I kind of almost make it like a 60-40. I'll leave 40% of the resources in the original colony and 60% in the new one if I'm kind of doing that 50-50 walk away. Like I said, most of the time I just treat it like a nuke. I'll do two, three, or four frames, add frames of foundation back into the source colony, and let them keep on going. Okay, so that is all of my notes. Let me go here and pull up the Discord, and we're going to just run through here. Podcast ideas. Okay, so the question here we have from Adam. Uh, so the areas that I'm lost on are for honey production. Do you wait until after the spring flow, or at least most of it, and then split in late May, early June, or do you split sooner? Or if your management for controlling the swarms aren't working and the bees decide it's time to split, and how many of each type of frame do you do in the split? And how many should you shake? So I think we talked about different types of frames. Like I said, I would treat it like a nuke, you know, two or three frames of brood, a couple frames of honey, and you're fine. If it, the weather's nice and you're on a flow, you're definitely good to just do a single brood frame. And, you know, a single brood frame, maybe a wax foundation and a frame feeder if you needed to, if they don't have any other resources in there. just depends on the time of year and what's available. But you do want to make sure they got a little bit of feed in there. Um, but for me, if I am trying to produce honey, if honey production, that's what it sounds like here in Adam's question, right? It says, for honey production, do you wait until after the spring flow? So I only do splits for the most part during the flow. So I'm making a decision about that colony early on. This is going to be a honey production colony. I'm going to add supers all over the place, and we're going to get as much honey as we can. Once the flow is over, Remember, it's that nectar flow is what becomes our source for making really good queens. 
It's the nectar flow and all of the abundant resources that tells them it's time for us to reproduce and make a new colony. So once that's over with and you've gathered all the honey in and everything, that's when the, the colony is actually starting to reduce their population. The queen is laying fewer eggs. There, you know, there just aren't as many, there's not a need for as many bees anymore. So they're going to start tapering the population. That's not the time to split. Now, it's not that you can't, right? If it's summertime, the weather is nice out and you want a supplemental feed, there is absolutely nothing wrong with taking a frame, you know, that has some eggs, young larvae, or taking a queen, you know, buy a queen from somewhere and introduce her into a new, you know, split that you've done at the end of the season. You can absolutely do that. You're just going to have to feed that colony through the dearth or put them on some kind of a nectar flow to, so that they can build up to at least make it through the summer and make it to the fall flow. So you can definitely do it, but sorry, I'm just laughing about something that somebody mentioned in Princess Bride on the, um, in the Discord here. I can't read it now. i got to move on. Okay, so let's see. So I hope that answered the question there. Adam, if not, let me know. And uh, where is the other question? That's back in the general area here. Okay, have I heard anyone or anything say anything about keeping? Let's see, it says, I wanted to know if anyone has heard if keeping a dark inside hive environment promotes better queen-laying productivity. Now, the only thing I can think about with that is, I guess if they mean, I think this may have came up in, in conversation before, like with a screened bottom board versus a solid bottom board. I am not aware of anything. I've used both of them for years. I still have colonies that, you know, I just, I don't have any more screen bottom boards available, so they get a solid bottom board. I don't see anything that I can really measure that makes me feel like being darker makes them less productive or more productive. I don't know. I keep thinking in my mind, like, of big trees I've seen in the woods where there's, like, a, a gap that's, like, two feet long in the tree, you know, where I feel like there's got to be a lot of light that's getting in there. But I don't, um, that's from Gary. Gary, I don't think I have an answer for you. I've never seen anything that I could say to be a measurable difference between dark or light. Uh, next question is, how many medium boxes are needed? I'm sorry, how many medium boxes need to be full of bees and brood before a split is warranted or encouraged? I have three medium box hives that seem to be wintering well and was wondering if I can go five or six mediums of bees and brood. Uh, my supers would go on top of the five or six. Okay, so that's the end of that question. So what I would say is, in general, that queen is going to kind of move around. She has a tendency to want to move up. That's why every spring I reverse my brood boxes if I'm on a double brood box kind of setup. But if you have a pair of mediums, you can put a pair of mediums and not a paramecium, but a pair of mediums and a queen excluder on top of that if you wanted to. And you can confine that queen into that space. The queen cannot physically lay more than a deep. And I think I've shared this with you all a while back. If I didn't, let me know. I can post in the Discord the link to it. But there's a video from Devin something or other up in Canada, I believe. Nice, nice fella. He uses the single brood chamber approach. And he did all the math to count how many you know cells are per on each frame and how many eggs a queen can lay in a day. And he was able to determine that there is a significant buffer of, of, you know, space and time that just by using a single deep brood chamber with a queen excluder, keeping the queen in that space, she has plenty of room to lay as many eggs as she wants. So in your case, if you had two or three mediums and you wanted to isolate the queen to that space, 
then you'd be perfectly fine. She has more than enough space. What will end up happening over time is, is they, the queens tend to want to move up. And she might start out in one and two, and then she moves up to three and four, and then next thing you know, she's up in five or six. And then eventually she'll turn around and come back down. But I always try to kind of um, accelerate that downward movement early in the season, put her all the way down at the bottom, and make her work her way back up. That way they are naturally storing all the honey up top where they typically want it to be, it just makes it, it really makes it easier on me. They're going to move everything and put it wherever they want to by the end of the season anyway. It just makes it easier on me so that when I open things up, I know I can skip the crap on the top. That's just nothing but honey. And I can go straight to the bottom and go to the brood boxes. Whereas if you allow them to do whatever they want to do, what you'll find is if you had, let's say, six mediums in there and no queen excluder, you'd probably have like right in the middle of that whole thing you'd have a bunch of brood chambers or a bunch of uh, brood and it would be moving across different mediums and frames. And then you'd have honey all around everything and it would just be, it would be kind of goofy. So my recommendation in that would be to isolate her to two or three, or if nothing else, just reverse those top ones and put those down near the bottom to keep her down low. You don't have to use a queen excluder if you don't want to, but you, it would be better if you just forced her down low a little bit. I hope that answers the question. Uh, can you please remind us the best way to keep a productive hive if you're splitting a strong hive? Can you please remind us of the best way to keep a productive hive if you're splitting a hive? Okay. Buy a mated queen. If so, where is it too late? So it's it's tough to keep that hive at that high level of productivity when you start splitting, right? You're taking away resources. It's kind of like, having a manufacturing plant where you have, you know, a hundred employees and they're on an assembly line working things. And then all of a sudden you take, okay, you 50, you're going to go work in the, I was going to say the Ohio plant, but they probably need to keep that shut down. Let's say you're going to go work in the Florida plant. So half of the facility is shut down, right? That's almost what you're dealing with in this situation. Half of your productivity, half of your, your staff is gone. So the best way to keep them productive, I'm just trying to make sure I'm reading everything right here. Yeah, the best way to keep them productive really is to kind of not split from them. That's that's really the best way. You're going to lose some productivity anytime you take bees away. But I do like the idea of buying a mate of queen. And it says, um, if so, where and when is it too late? I've put queens in and done queens of my own in as late as July, August time frame. I've brought some in at the end of July for the August flow and fed them a little bit until the fall flow kicked in. And I really, really don't recommend that, particularly for newer beekeepers. You can absolutely overwinter nukes, and if you have the right genetics, it'll work really well under optimal conditions and everything, but I really I don't recommend that. Try to do your splits earlier. The, like I said before, things are much more forgiving in the, uh, in the spring than they are any other time of year. This, the bees are preparing for winter in like March, April, May, and if you start a new colony with a brand-new, good, healthy queen in July, August – you're well behind the curve. You can absolutely feed them and artificially, you know, give them pollen substitute and different things to, you know, artificially make them do all the things they should to ramp up. It's a lot of work. It can be expensive. I really just don't recommend it. Okay. Uh, any input on my purchased queen that is mite or disease resistant? Uh, you may not have gotten her in your hive, but I just wanted to ask. So I had a bunch of them that I bought Last year, I did a big-time split across a couple of colonies. I split them way too thin, way too early. I had a freeze 
two days after I set them up, it, temperatures got into the 20s, and all 12 of them died. 100% my fault. I, I just got a little bit over-aggressive on the schedule. I was a couple weeks too early, and they all died. So I had a few hives that I was kind of testing for mite resistance, and they have overwintered, but because the majority of my colonies are not under my management right now, which is a long kind of a pain in the butt story, but because I only have a few available to me right now, what I opted to do was I proven the fact that them not being treated based on their select kind of situation has been okay. They have figured it out. They have been able to um, keep the mite levels low enough to survive and thrive, but I have resumed treating them right now and I know exactly which colonies they are, and they are now my breeder colonies. Colonies, my breeder colonies. So I'm going to take them up to about a hundred colonies. Mm, not this year. Probably go to fifty to seventy-five this year. Bring them to about two hundred next year, and then I'll bring my other couple hundred in um, next year. So a year from now, I should be around five hundred and so something like that. And then I'll bring my old genetics with my new resistant genetics in. And that'll be super duper cool. Okay. Uh, okay. So I think that that is that. I'm just kind of looking real quick to see what other questions are in there. Oh, I see something else that's new in the podcast ideas. Okay. Everybody's still joking around about. All right. Well, I, it's a Princess Bride reference, and I don't even. I don't want to waste your time. <laughs> I can't even talk anymore. It's been going on so long. Okay. Everybody, I think I'm going to wrap it up here. I um, I hope I've answered all the questions that were in the Discord room. And uh, I'm back on my notes real quick. I think I've got all of those covered as well. So I'm going to wrap it up here. Yeah, so some new things are coming up. So I'm going to try and get the, the office that I have is going to be set up as a little bit of a studio. We'll try and do some recordings there. Uh, my internal, again, my internal Discord admins, please keep me accountable for some... Um, I still need to do a swarm trap video. I'm going to be building a couple swarm traps. I'm going to be doing a swarm trap podcast. I'm going to be recording something about them to kind of show you what they look like. I will put some up at the property so you can see what they look like. And uh, we're going to be doing some video YouTube stuff here. So you can actually watch all the goofy faces and mannerisms and stupid things that I do when I'm talking. You'll get to see that live, which is going to be great. And I think that is all. I'm going to go ahead and wrap it up here and you folks take care of yourselves. Be kind to one another. Uh, the world is getting crazier every day. And I, uh, I don't even know. I just got a new ham radio, by the way. So for those of you who like ham radio stuff, I just got a new one, but I'm not going to, we'll talk about it in the discord. So like I mentioned before, go to uh, beekeepingfornewbies.com And on that site, there is a link to the discord. I'm looking right now. We've got 20, looks like 28 people in here. So it's a pretty good crowd so far. They're not all online right now. I'm not trying to like clickbait you or anything like that, but we do get a good, good amount of people participating pretty regularly. It's getting to be a lot of fun. And uh, so again, be kind to one another, take care, reach out. If you have any questions, Jeff at beekeepingfornewbies.com or more on the bees at protonmail.com. And I will look forward to catching up with you very, very soon. I got a couple of episodes teed up, but I've got a lot of really crappy things that I don't want to do this week that I have to do. So I'm going to be out of the net for a little bit. But take care, and uh, we will talk to you soon. Bye-bye.
Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details.